Welcome to Book Clips, a weekly podcast featuring author readings, produced by the Lesbian Review, connecting lovers of lesfic with lesbian authors. You can find more information on this book in the show notes. And don't forget to help others find this podcast by rating and subscribing on iTunes, Podbean and Stitcher. Hello, my name is Karelia Stetswaters, and I'm going to read to you from Something True, a romance about a lonely barista who falls in love with the commercial real estate developer who's trying to shut down her coffee house. Chapter One It was late June, the kind of warm summer evening when hopeless romantics make bad choices about beautiful women. The twilight was all watery yellow-blue brightness, and Portland glowed with the promise of warm pavement and cool moonlight. It was, as it turned out, a dangerous mix for Tate Grafton, who stood at the till of out-in-Portland coffee, trying to make out what her boss had done to the change drawer. "'How is it possible,' she called without looking up, "'that you're eight dollars over, but it's all in nickels?' Just then, the wind chime on the door tinkled, and it was because of that evening light that came from nowhere and everywhere at the same time and filled the city with a sense of possibility that Tate did not say, sorry, we're closed. The woman, who had just walked in, wore her hair pulled back in a low ponytail and had the kind of sleek magazine blondness that Tate was required as a feminist to say she did not like and she did not like it, in magazines. But in real life, and in that dangerous twilight that filtered through the front window, the woman was very pretty. She didn't carry anything, no laptop, no purse, not even a wallet and cell phone clutched in one hand. Nor did she have room in the pockets of her tight jeans for more than a credit card, Tate noticed. The woman stood in the doorway surveying the coffee shop from the exposed pipes to the performance space to the mural of Gertrude Stein, right down to the cracked linoleum floor. Then she strode up to the counter and asked for a skinny, tall latte with sweet and low. I'll, um... Tate ran her hand through her hair as if to push it off her face, although the clippers had already done that for her. I'll have to warm up the machines. It'll be a minute. I'll just take what's in the air pot, the woman said, still surveying the shop. Tate filled a paper cup and squeezed a biodegradable corn plastic lid on it. The woman drew a bill from the pocket of her crisp white shirt. Tate shook her head. On the house, it's probably stale. She was about to go back to counting the till when the woman asked, How long has this been a coffee shop? Tate considered. It was opened as a bookstore in 1979, then it closed for a few years, opened back up as a coffee shop in 88. Been running since, I think. I've been here for nine years. Too long, she thought. Out in Portland Coffee, the woman read the side of her cup. Out Coffee, Tate said. That's what everyone calls it. Any other businesses in the area? There's Ron's Reptiles and the Oregon Adult Theater. Across the street, the theater's yellow letterboard advertised HD film, stripper, spankathon Wednesdays. From the back room, Maggie, the boss, called out, they're all perverts. The woman nodded and turned as if to leave. Then she seemed to reconsider. Are there any women's bars in the area? 
She glanced around the shop again, her eyes sliding past Tate's, resting everywhere but in Tate's direction. There's the mirage, Tate gave her directions. Is it safe to walk? As safe as anywhere in the city. As soon as the woman left, 21-year-old Crystal, Maggie's surrogate daughter or pet project, depending on who you asked, popped out from the back room where she had ostensibly been studying. I heard that, she said. As safe as anywhere in the city, she hopped up onto the counter next to Tate. Get off the counter, Tate ruffled Crystal's short pink hair. Is my butt a health code violation? Yes. Well, anyway, Crystal said, swinging her legs and kicking the cupboard behind her. I heard that. She practically asked you to walk her. Crystal imitated a woman soprano with an added whine. Hold me in your big, strong arms, you sexy butch. Why didn't you go after her? She probably thought you were cute. I'm working, Tate said with feigned annoyance. Nonetheless, Tate stole a glance at her own face in the bathroom mirror before leaving the coffee shop. The woman's perfect good looks made her aware of her own nose, which jutted out and then took a hook-like dive. Still, a spring spent rebuilding the network of railroad tie stair steps in the Mount Tabor community garden had to find the muscles beneath her labrous tattoo. She was tanned from the work. Her head was freshly shaved, and it was summer. One of those perfect summer nights that Portlanders live for, so warm, so unambiguously beautiful, it made up for ten months of steady rain. Tate couldn't resist. After locking up, she walked through the warm twilight to the mirage, where her friend Vita was the bartender. She's here, Vita said when Tate sat down. For a second, Tate thought of the woman. Who, she asked. Vita shot her a look that said, Don't pretend not to know when you've asked me about her for every day for six months. Abigail. Vita plunked a shot in front of Tate. On the house, she said, she's with someone. Tate knocked the shot back, nearly choking as her brain registered the taste a split second after it hit the back of her throat. What the hell was that? She wiped her mouth. Frat boy's revenge, Jägermeister and great vodka. I made one too many for the baby dykes in the corner. Tate grimaced and cleared her mouth with a swig of beer. Then she noticed something. That indefinable feeling of being watched. She turned. At a table by the door, the woman from Out Coffee sat, one hand resting on the base of a martini glass as though she feared it might fly away. She caught Tate's eye for a second, smiled and then looked away with a shake of her head. When she looked up again, Tate raised her beer with a slight smile. God, you have it so easy, Vita said, punching Tate on the arm. Tate turned back to the bar. She's not interested in me. Look at her. You look at her, Vita said, raising both eyebrows. In the mirror behind the bar, Tate saw the woman picking her way through the tables, hesitating, looking from side to side as though puzzling her way through a maze. She's cute. Don't blow it, Vita said in a whisper the whole bar could hear. Hello, the woman took the stool next to Tate's. She sat on the very edge, as though ready to flee. Vita leaned in. She looked predatory. Her hair was teased into a rocker bouffant, and she had on more leopard print than Tate thought was appropriate work attire, even at a bar. Will you be buying this lady a drink? Vita asked Tate. I'm fine, the woman said. 
At that moment, Abigail appeared. Tate took in the sight. Abigail on the arm of Duke Bryce, drag king extraordinaire. Duke grinned, a big toothy grin like an Elvis impersonator on steroids. Abigail clung to Duke's arm, a romance heroine hanging off the lesbian Fabio. Someone you know, the woman asked. New, Tate said. A moment later, Abigail released her lover and came over, an apologetic look on her face. I'm sorry. I didn't think I'd see you here. I mean, I was going to tell you about me and Duke, you know, earlier. Tate shrugged. The music had dropped a decibel, and a few of the other patrons turned to listen. I mean, I know you're still really upset about the breakup, about us. Really, I wasn't looking for anyone, but I just saw Duke one day and presto! Abigail's giggle made it sound like she had suddenly been transported back to the seventh grade. I thought I wanted someone who understood my music. That had been the explanation when Abigail cheated on Tate with the oboist. But then I met Duke and she's just so brava. Tate was trying to think of a response to this when she was startled by a touch. The woman from the coffee shop had touched the back of her head. She ran her hand across Tate's cropped hair then slid her fingertips down the back of Tate's neck. Then she withdrew her hand quickly. Who is she? The woman's voice was much softer than it had been in the coffee shop, almost frightened. Tate was still concentrating on the woman's touch, which seemed to linger on her skin. It had been six months since Abigail officially dumped her, but much longer since she had been touched like that. Abigail never caressed her. Abigail seduced her cello, everyone in the orchestra agreed, but she had squeezed Tate. Tate had always come away from their lovemaking, feeling rather like rising bread dough, kneaded and punched down. Now Tate stumbled over her words. This is, this is Abby, she's a cellist. The woman leaned closer to Tate, and Tate could smell a sweet perfume, like citrus blossoms rising from her hair. What seat? the woman asked Abigail. This had been an important distinction that had always been lost on Tate. Third, Abigail answered defensively. Oh, only third, the woman turned, and with a gesture even more fleeting than her fingers on Tate's neck, she pressed her lips to Tate's cheek. Abigail mumbled something Tate didn't catch and walked away, disappearing down the hallway that led from the bar to the dance floor. The woman straightened and crossed her legs. I'm sorry, she said. She took a large sip of her drink. I don't usually do things like this. Thank you for listening. I'm Corelia Stetz-Waters, and you've been listening to Something True. This has been an episode of Book Clips, a lesbian talk show podcast produced by The Lesbian Review. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please help others to find it by rating and subscribing on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. If you are an author interested in sending us a book clip, go to thelesbiantalkshow.com reading for more information.